Well, this morning we're going to be reading um, or hearing for the Lord in Psalm 119, starting in verse 137. If you'd stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning. And the word of the Lord says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Lord, I pray that we would see you this morning as we read your word, that we would see that your word is a reflection of your character. Father, I pray that we would be continually convicted of the truth of your word and that your word would continually be not only a truth, but something which we will not change our view on, or that we will continually run to your word, because we know that it's the words of a righteous king. Lord, we pray your guidance and your clarity this morning as I preach. Pray your spirit would be upon me and on our ears to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would help our children to be hearers as well, that they would begin to understand the truths of your word this morning. Lord, I pray you, by the Holy Spirit, would begin to work in their hearts, planting the seed that would bring forth fruit to salvation. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So today as we begin the what's called the Tzade section of Psalm 119, we are transitioning from last week where we saw the, the light of the Word, the illumination of God's Word to our hearts, that it's a gracious light, and that we, through Christ, have experienced the light of the word in our lives. And it begs the question, why does God's word give light? And that was a question, I believe, that Sade, this section that we're looking at today, answers strongly and clearly. The word of God gives light because it is the Word of God, who is light. And so, today's message is titled, The Word of a Righteous Lord. The Word of a Righteous Lord. That title really just comes from the the first half of verse 137. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord. This is not just a 
minor statement. This is a strong statement. When you see O before Lord, it is a a picture to us as believers that the psalmist is seeing the Lord in such a magnificent way. He is righteous. There's no question in the psalmist's mind. He's not looking at the world and, and questioning, Lord, if, the, if you are good, then why is this going on in our world? If you're good, why is this happening in Ukraine? If you are good, why is this happening in the Middle East? No, the psalmist is saying, without doubt, in his heart, you are righteous. And this is the Lord of the Word. This righteous Lord is the one who has given us His Word. And so just as the Lord's is righteous, so are His judgments. This word upright in the second half of 137, translated upright in the New American Standard, it is the same word that is used as righteous. The psalmist is being very intentional here in using the same word. So we could say, straight are your judgments, or right are your judgments. What is he saying? When he says judgments, we've seen this word used many, many times throughout Psalm 119. And when he says judgments, he's saying the decrees and the rules of God. Why are they right? Why are they straight? Why are they upright? Because God is righteous. If God was not righteous, His judgments or His decrees and His rules would not be righteous. And that's why when the church begins to question God's Word and say, well, we're not questioning God, that, that's an oxymoron. It's not possible to question God's Word and the faithfulness of His Word in the sense of Scripture itself and say, well, you know, I don't know that God actually said that. You know, it's written here, but I'm not sure that that's actually accurate. When we begin to be critical of God's Word, not I'm not talking about being in a state where we don't understand why it doesn't seem to be working. I'm talking about openly critical, well, I'm just not sure... You know, our science today doesn't back up this, so we can't uh, believe this. I mean, this is something I was reading or, or listening to these, these men have a conversation on a YouTube video. And these men were claiming, and they were professors at a Catholic uh, university, and 
These men were talking about the book of Genesis like it was a Roman or Greek mythology. That the Bible to them was more of a mythical story instead of the Word of God Himself. When we begin to downgrade the Bible from the Word of a righteous God, then we should just throw the thing out. It's just a book. It's useless. But because the psalmist sees these words, these decrees, these rules, the law of God, which... By the way, what, are, what is the law of God? The law of God is, is God's will described. Right? We, we know the law describes what God desires for this earth. And it's His good desire for us. It's not an outside source. God does not give decrees that are unjust because He is righteous. If God were not righteous, then we could judge His decrees as unrighteous. But because we believe that God is righteous, just as the psalmist does, we can say with authority, His Word is righteous. So when we read passages that many want to kick out of the Bible, like God telling the people of Israel to kill every single living being in a town or a village, when we see those passages, this is the righteousness of God. It's not popular, and I'm not saying that we're called to do that today. No, this was a call of God on His people to bring His justice on earth. Right? If you look at the whole story of the Exodus, they're coming out of Egypt, and instead of going up in Palestine, the typical trade route way from Egypt, they had to go around in the wilderness. Why? Because God said... The time of their judgment, the people of Palestine, or the Philistines, their time of judgment was not yet come. That means God was giving them time before He judged them. And because their time was not ready, God sent them a different way. God is just, and He does what is righteous. His decrees are righteous. I don't want to sugarcoat the word and say, well, you know, God, God didn't really mean that. Or as the New Testament, we see many, well, throughout the Old and New Testament, we see miracles. We see the impossible Things that people say, well, that couldn't have happened. You know, Noah couldn't have saved all those animals. Or 
yeah, that was a natural phenomenon. You know, somehow the, the Red Sea parted and, and they were able to cross, or they'll just deny it completely. Just like Thomas Jefferson. If you remember the Jefferson Bible, he essentially took an exacto knife and cut out every miraculous, unscientifically explainable event in the Bible. Guess what he also cut out? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to remember that God's word is righteous because he is righteous. Not because we believe it's righteous. And that's what the, the flip side is. Oftentimes, we treat the Bible as though it's righteous, but we're not sure about God. We'll say, it's true, but I just don't know about God. I'm not sure. But that, if it's the Word of God, it must be that He is righteous. It can't be without. They're interconnected. And that is why the psalmist knows that light comes from God. Because he's seen the Word of God. The Word of God has so affected his life that he knows God is true and righteous. I've, I've said righteous many, many times, but I haven't really defined righteous. God is without spot. He is perfect, holy, just. He will not fail. Righteous is a very... strong word, one that many use condemningly. Oh, they're self-righteous people. God is self-righteous, yes, but not in the way the world looks at that. God needs nothing to be righteous. He is already righteous in himself. And we are only righteous in Christ. The word made flesh. So God's law, His judgments, are an expression of what He desires for us. And His plan for our world. The reason that God's Word and the laws of God find so much application in our world is because God created our world and when we experience the world through that we see justice. Just look at our culture. Western culture specifically. Many of the laws of our land, especially here in the United States, are based upon Scripture. Right? And even the judgments, though they have been changing, the, the penalties for many of these uh, sins, as we would call them, but for breaking the law, our, our national law, or our state or local law, many of the, the consequences are 
similar to what you find in the, the Old Testament. And because of that, our country, though not Christian, has enjoyed relative peace for quite a while. Yes, we've had the Civil War, we've had plenty of issues throughout the history of the United States, but the rule of law, which is based on the truth of God's Word, finds a place and it brings peace. When you decide, I don't need any law, what happens? You get chaos. You get, honestly, what we're seeing in our world today. What we've seen in the 60s. When, when the law of a land is no longer in play, the world and the people who live in it are affected dramatically. We see what happens, for example, in the jungles of Ecuador. If you remember the stories of Jim Elliot, the tribe that they were reaching, they had been warring and having retribution killings for so long that some of these tribes had disappeared because they had killed every one of them off. If you didn't want to kill someone for killing your family member, you didn't have an option. It was either do that or you were a coward and you were put out of your tribe. And many of these cannibalistic and, and war-like tribes, they, they had a law, but it was so unbiblical and, and built upon a righteousness of their own that it was not based on God's word. It was based on their ethical thing. Like, you don't steal. If you steal, you, you, you get killed. Like, the penalty for all sin was death. There was no graduation of, you know, if you, if you do this, then you lose a hand. If you do this... No, it was like, you steal from another tribe, you're dead. No matter what happened. I'm saying all this to, to point to the fact that when a people believe that God's word is righteous and they see the truth in it and they live by it, it transforms not only the, the church that's there, but the church that is influencing that world. So though I don't believe our nation is Christian, because of the Christian influence of our early founders and even throughout our history, we have seen the relative peace of our nation because of that influence. But imagine this. Here, the words of God, the righteous one who has never... So here, we are righteous through Christ, right, as, as believers... And we can influence the world, not perfectly, and yet there's relative peace. But imagine this. God, the righteous Lord, makes decrees that are, are perfect. And what effect that would have on our lives if we believe that. 
that his words are truly right. That when we read his word, we don't have to wonder if that's right. And it should bring conviction to us when our lives don't line up with his word. Not, well, I don't think that's for today. I mean, that's too hard. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, the way you're talking about marriage, I don't know why anyone would get married. Right? That's the, the disciple said. Now, this is a hard saying. Or take up your cross and follow me. These are not sayings that people are running around uh, proclaiming on the streets. Unfortunately, many in the church have forgotten the cross. They wear them in their, their rap videos, but they don't know what that means. It's interesting how you know the cross is kind of like a, a talisman that people wear anymore. They don't actually understand the significance of the cross of Christ. And yet here as Christians, we have a righteous Lord that we serve. And His judgments, His decrees are righteous. But not just that, He says in verse 138, You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness. So, remember here in, in Psalm 119, there's multiple words for the word to, that describes Scripture. Right? We just talked, said saw judgments. Now we see testimonies or, or this idea of, of a witness to who God is, to His righteousness. So it's in righteousness that God has commanded. Or, here's an alternate translation because this word in is not necessarily in the text. You have to decide if it's in or the. So this is an alternate translation which I, I kind of like. You commanded the righteousness of your testimonies and you have commanded the faithfulness, the great faithfulness of your testimonies. He's commanded them both. This commandment is not to one or the other. So at the command of God, His testimonies and His the faithfulness of His testimonies come to pass. Isn't that incredible? At the word of God... When God spoke them, they were commanded to be righteous. It is because God is righteous that we can look at God's testimonies of Himself, His decrees, and say, you are, those are righteous, and they're faithful, greatly faithful, exceeding Faithfulness. Exceedingly faithful. Right? See here in ASB, it's commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. Faithfulness. 
God's word is righteous and faithful because God commanded them to be so. Such a strong statement, I think. This is why we should believe the word. And this is why the psalmist says in 139, he says, My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. This word consume is actually a word, my zeal silences me because my oppressors forget your word. Or, he's so overwhelmed with the fact that God has commanded his righteousness, it just puts him in shock that his adversaries have totally forgotten his words. He's like, I can't believe it. He's awestruck. He's Are these people crazy? How is it possible that these people who are my adversaries have forgotten God's word, that they do not even believe His righteous word anymore? He cannot believe it. It's as though in his mind he's saying, you do realize that these are the righteous words of a righteous God, right? They're like, yeah, big deal, whatever. Right? Just think about this. Have you met people who claim Christ and they know and can quote, I mean, whole movies, but can't quote a single verse of the Bible? I mean, we, we know many people in the world, obviously, who, who know are like that, right? They, they can quote line after line after line after line from a movie, and before long, that's their life. You don't actually... I knew someone at one point that he was always quoting a certain movie. I'd never seen it. I didn't know he was quoting. I thought he was just funny. Then I watched the movie. I was like, what? This guy has no lines of his own. He's just been copying this movie the whole time. And um, not that it didn't make those quotes less funny, but the whole point was his life was so entwined with this movie that you couldn't separate that from him. Are we that entwined with God's Word that we are holding tight His Word with all of our being? Is it so valuable to us as a movie is to some person, some people? Or, or whatever it is that we, we like to put to memory? Because here the psalmist is different. His zeal... What? For the Lord. For His Word. Which means that the psalmist is not like his adversaries. He has not forgotten God's words. Why? Because they're righteous. He knows that if he walks in the ways of God, if he goes on the straight 
way of God's judgments that He will be with Him. He will have a relationship with Him. And so He has committed to memory the Word of God. And we see His zealousy in verse 140. He says, Your Word is very pure. Or exceedingly pure. Or this word pure can be refined. It is, it is the quintessential refinement. You want something that is refined? Don't go to uh, Buckingham Palace. No, go to the Word. I'm, I'm referring to cultural refinement, right? You know, you've got to be very proper if you go see the Queen of England. You've got to be very culturally refined. But that's what he's, he's saying. True purity. Purity at its very, it's exceedingly, the most pure thing is the Word of God. It is exceedingly pure. It is Righteous, right? Purity and righteousness are are hand in hand. They're the same. God's word is pure. It is righteous. And that is why, at the end of 140, therefore your servant loves it. He is zealous for God and His Word because He sees the pure Word for what it is, the Word of God, the righteous God who spoke these words in righteousness and commanded them in righteousness. Then He describes Himself. Kind of made me think of Mr. Hamilton's song, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger, right? He says, I'm small and despised. I'm just a little little guy. Everybody's making fun of me. I have oppressors at every side. He may be small and despised, but guess what? We see a response that's very different. He's small and despised, but I do not forget your precepts. This kind of is a an attack against his adversaries, right? His adversaries are must be big and popular. But they have forgotten God's precepts. He's small and despised, and he has not forgotten the precepts of God. Isn't that how it seems to go? Those who hate God, despise His Word, seem to be those who are successful and popular in our world? 
I mean, just look at the majority of celebrities. Like 99% despise God, have no moral compass, are unrighteous, wicked, and headed to hell. But they're the ones that people want to emulate. The, the athletes, the, the movie stars, the models, you know, you name it. How do you become popular? Even politicians. They seem to have it all. They're, they're big and bad and, and cool. But they do not know God's word. They have forgotten his word. We as Christians, it doesn't matter how small or despised we may be, but we must, like the psalmist, not forget the precepts of God. You want to have victory in your life? Go to the Word. You want to have an overcomer's spirit in your life? The Word of God is where you find it. It's not in memorizing stats about popular people so that everyone thinks you're cool. No, it is about knowing Him and knowing His Word. Because in the end... You can be popular, you can be a big name, but you won't last forever. But something will. And that something is in Psalm 142, or 119-142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And your law is truth. God's righteousness will not fail. It will not fade. The fame, the fortune, the the applause will fade in this world. I was reading the story about a woman named Elizabeth Holmes, if you know who I'm talking about. She, at 19, started this company called Thanaros. It was supposed to be a groundbreaking company. She said she had designed a, a little black box that could do every blood test you could ever need in a matter of four days from one little prick of blood. Now, up to this point, anyone who's... I haven't had any blood drawn, but... When they do blood tests, they typically have to take a good chunk of blood. They can't, they can't do a blood test, and they have to do it specifically for any um, test. You can't, you can't do multiple tests with the same sample of blood. You have to do, okay, this one for that and that. And it's a very expensive and time-consuming um, testing process. So... This was sounded like just an amazing idea, like, wow, we can't believe this. Well, there were people who didn't believe her, but the majority of people wanted to jump on this. So, in a short time period, this woman, with her company, were eventually valued at $9 billion. 
But the whole time she was faking it. She actually didn't have a machine that did that. Her testing, people within the company ended up blowing the whistle on her because the testing was getting results that could not be figured out. They were using old methods of testing, but they didn't have enough blood, so they just put, they diluted the blood with water. And all, the, all these medical professors are like, you can't even get a good result. Like, you can't actually test and find a real answer unless you have that amount of blood. So they were completely defrauding people, and they had an investment of over a billion dollars. People from the likes of Rupert Murdoch giving one point. $125 million alone in investment into this company. But they were like all over TV. They, this woman was pop. I mean, she was the next big deal. But the whole time, she was lying. She put on a really good face. She sounded extremely convincing. But in the end... She was convicted of fraud. She hasn't been sentenced yet, actually. I just ran across this, this article, actually, yesterday. I thought, what a contrast between God and this woman. People wanted to believe her. Why? Because she was a female uh, entrepreneur. She talked a good game. She sounded... To the, to the world, she, she seemed to know everything that was going on. But in reality, she was, as they say, faking it till she made it. She was hoping that her engineers and science team would figure out how to fix everything by the time they really needed it. But instead of that, our God, He only speaks truth. That's why His law is truth. His law is not truth because it's something apart from God. No, His law is truth because God spoke it. He is righteous, and when a righteous God speaks, it is truth. We cannot, as Christians, separate God and His Word. And this is very, very dangerous when that happens. Pretty interesting. I've mentioned a psychologist multiple times, and he sees this, and he's not even a believer. The Bible is the foundation of Western education, which is now rejecting God. But if you go back and read books, starting in the most read book in English language, what? The Bible. Next most read? Pilgrim's Progress. And then if you look at all the books that, that have come in the English language, obviously English 
The Bible was the first book in English that was widely read. But that book has, the Bible has influenced all of Western literature from that point forward. And yet, God's Word will never fail. Unlike any book that either writes about the Bible or has been influenced by the Bible, or any society, culture, God's Word is effective because God spoke it. It's not just a book. It is the living Word of God. This is why when God comes to a culture, it's interesting, Christians bring the Word with them. When we share the Gospel, we want them to know the Word of God because we value and know that God, used through the Holy Spirit, works in His Word and through His Word. We are unable in our own ability to preserve the truth of God's Word. It's preserved because God spoke it. It's not preserved because theologian so-and-so can debate Bill Nye the science guy or whomever it may be. We can debate with men like Stephen Hawking and all these other atheists who are anti-God till we're blue in the face, but that doesn't make God's Word any more true than it was the moment we started the debate. God's Word is true whether we believe it or not because He is the author of His Word. We see again a statement that seems conflicting with what is true. We saw the small and despised psalmist. And then here the psalmist says, Trouble and anguish have come upon me. He's in distress. Very interesting. This verse specifically in Hebrew is, Four syllables, four syllables, and then the second phrase is four syllables, four syllables. Very poetic picture. But this contrast, yes, it seems like no one's on his side. He's, again, despised. Seems like all he's going through is distress and anguish, but, or yet, your commandments are my delight. He has not forgotten the righteousness of God and he has not forgotten that God's righteousness is everlasting. Without end. He delights in God because he knows that God is true God is righteous, God is pure, and that's why His words are pure, true, and righteous. And He knows that if God is everlasting, 
then His Word is everlasting. It will not fail. When all this world and its intricate desires and fleshly things disappears, His Word will still be true. Every Bible on the planet Earth could burn up right now and it would still be true. We see the final correlation the psalmist draws. Right in verse 142, he says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Right, This is the word of a righteous Lord. 144, Your testimonies are righteous forever. This is the exact same structure of 142. The only difference is the testimonies are righteous like God is righteous. Exact same word. The word forever in 144 is the exact same word that's translated everlasting. God's testimonies, His word is righteous and to be served, whether we're small and despised or constantly in distress and anguish, because He will always be faithful to His Word. He's commanded it in His Word. You want to invest in a company, oh, not a company, in a kingdom that will fulfill every promise that it makes? Don't invest in this world. Don't invest in companies like Thanos. Invest in the Lord. Invest in His Word. Spend time with Him. And we use a lot of language in, in Western culture to describe time. Time is something we value. It, ha- it has value. Right? Because we have this idea of, of an hourly rate. So when we think of our time, we we use expressions like, is that worth my time? Is that, um, what's another expression? I was trying to think of another one that we use, but essentially we treat time as as an asset, as, as money, right? We even have that expression, time is money. What are you investing in? Are you with the psalmist? You may be small and despised, but you haven't forgotten the precepts of God? Do you truly believe that God is righteous and that His Word, because it comes from Him, is righteous? Do we believe that? If we don't believe it, then we won't invest in it. We have the Almighty Creator's Word. Do we believe it? If we do, we will invest our lives in it. We'll invest our time. We will say, this is worth it. This is worth whatever price it it takes. Everything I have is worth knowing God and knowing His Word. Are we going to make an investment in the Lord? Are we going to invest in the lies of this world? Whether it's financial spiritual, physical, and whatever this this world promises. 
It's not a question of will we invest, it's a question of where. Are you investing into the kingdom of God and His Word because you believe that God is righteous, pure, holy, just, and true? And that His Word as an extension of Himself is so? Or are we investing in the things of this world because we don't believe the God of the Bible? Let's pray. Lord, give us understanding as the psalmist states at the end of this psalm. Lord, we know that we can only live if you give us understanding. But until we see that you and your word are righteous, we won't ask that question. So, Lord, I I pray that we, as a, a people of God, that we would invest our lives in knowing you and your word. Invest our lives to live for you, because, Lord, you are the righteous king. Lord, we can trust your word. Lord, let us not sell ourselves out for what is impure, unholy, unrighteous, and full of lies. Give us courage to stand against immorality and sin, the fleshly desires that the devil would desire us to give into. Use us for your glory, we pray. Call us closer to you through the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.